So the title of the message today is Reformation, Christ is Sufficient. As we, as we remember, uh, 505 years ago will be tomorrow, the, the anniversary of, of really what sparked the Reformation. really goes back hundreds of years before that when we see guys like Wycliffe and others. But, the, but the, really the official start of the Reformation we remember as October 31st, 1517. And so that's what we're going to be remembering today. And we're, going to remember, we're also going to be reminding ourselves of the need of reformation today as well. Because the song we just sang, guys, by Martin Luther, we, we need to remember when he's singing of the, uh, the powers of the devil, who, who do you think he's referring to? The Roman Catholic Church, okay? And it's alive and breathing well today. And many other false cults have sprung up in the last 500 years. And so we need reformation now as much as ever. And so we just continue to stand on the truth, proclaim the truth. And it's my prayer, guys, that you guys will be encouraged today, strengthened today, that things will be more clear in our minds today, that we have a gospel that needs to be defended, it needs to be clearly defined, and we need to stand against error, not compromise with it. So again, we're going to look at the fact that Christ is sufficient today. Um, On the back of your bulletin today... I do have an outline here. We're going to look at... And obviously this is a drop in the bucket, guys, compared to all of the heretical teachings within the Roman Catholic Church. But we're going to look at Christ's work on the cross being sufficient and how uh, for that one fact alone that we're going to see that there's no need for the Mass, that there's no help from Mary, there's no such place as purgatory, and there's no salvation from works. We're going to start off just by looking at that one verse in John 19, verse 30. This was Christ on the cross. Probably the three most important words in the Bible. If you could say something along those lines. We see in John 19, 30. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, He said this. Three English words. It is finished. And He bowed His head and gave up. His Spirit. It is finished. It has been completed. It has been accomplished is what the meaning of it is. What is it that has been accomplished? The work of redemption. The work of redemption is finished. Beloved, can I hear an amen? Amen. Let's just, okay, we're all on the same page. It is finished. The work of redemption has been accomplished. That's what that phrase means. And what did Christ redeem us with? As we remind ourselves of that truth, He redeemed us with His blood. His blood. He didn't redeem us through baptism, whether it be our baptism, our own baptism, who we'll look at a little later, what the Roman Catholics believe about that, or... As the Mormons believe, He didn't redeem us through being baptized for somebody who's already dead. Or, as we read about and we'll talk about more, He didn't redeem us or we are not redeemed through the purchasing of indulgences for ourselves or anybody else. Colossians 2 verse 14, speaking of Christ, says, Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That's another way of saying, it is finished. It is finished. Do you understand, beloved? Let's remind ourselves that we owed a debt to God because of our sin. A debt that we would spend all eternity paying for in hell and never pay it off. Because it's against an eternal God. That's what was nailed to the cross. That's what was paid in full through Christ alone. He is our propitiation. His death satisfied God's justice against our sin. His wrath was drank in full. He drank it all. It's going to be important as we go throughout this message to just be reminded of these These core gospel truths. It is finished. His perfect life in fulfilling the law. 
He was born under the law. He fulfilled the law. That's what we call His act of obedience. His perfect obedience. And then His his passive obedience on the cross, bearing the curse of the law. Right? We were under the curse of God because God's law demands perfection. And we're under its curse. But Christ redeemed us. He redeemed us by His blood from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And proof that God accepted all of this was when He raised Him from the dead. That's the Gospel. It is finished. The proof that it is finished is that Christ rose victorious, sets at God's hand right now. That's where He is until He returns the second time. Not the ten millionth time. We'll talk about that more later. But He's coming back for the second time. Nothing, beloved, nothing, nothing, nothing can be added to this. Can be added to the Gospel. So turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. This is so important. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to remind us of this. I'm not going to go back and read it time and time again. But after we read this, and we remind ourselves what Paul says in Galatians, I'm going to come back and remind you of what Paul said in Galatians as we go throughout this message because it's very important. This is Paul's heavy artillery denouncing a false gospel. Galatians 1, verses 6-9, through 9, just to remind you of the context of this letter. Paul is referring to, when, he, when he's talking about a different gospel, he is referring to the false gospel of the Judaizers. Now the Judaizers, guys, they believed in Jesus Christ. They believed in His death, burial, and resurrection. But they told these Gentile believers in Galatia that if you truly want to be saved, though, you need to be circumcised. You need to keep that part of the Mosaic Law or you're not saved. How many, how many things has that added to the Gospel? One. They added one element to the Gospel. Circumcision. That's it. And listen to what Paul says about these Judaizers. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different Gospel. So right there, because they added one thing to the Gospel, he says it's a different Gospel. And then he clarifies, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul's saying there's only one gospel. And if you add any works to it, it ceases to be the gospel. Oh, but then it gets stronger. But even if we... So Paul includes himself. If me, any of the other apostles come to you, or even an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we had preached, He is to be accursed, damned forever. What's the Gospel He preached? He clarifies it throughout the letter. But Galatians 2.16, a man is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. By the works of the law, no person will be justified. That's it. Or as he says to the Corinthians, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, not tradition, not the Pope, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried and on the third day rose again. That's the Gospel. He said if you add to it and you preach something false, you're damned. And obviously that would infer if you believe that false Gospel, you're damned. It can't save. And then he says it again in verse 9. As we have said before, so now... I say again, now if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you receive, he is to be accursed. And how many, how many elements did they add to the gospel? One thing. Circumcision. There's one gospel. That's Paul's point. There's one gospel. This is what was 500 years ago and what is at the heart of the Reformation. This thing right here. Paul's letter in Galatians. Paul's statement right there. That's the heart of it. That's what we're fighting for. Okay? And when we say fighting, we're fighting for the souls of precious people. Again, if you preach a different gospel, if somebody believes a different gospel, 
It's not a matter of, well, we're just a different denomination. Or, well, they may lose some... They're damned forever because it's a false gospel and it can't save. This is at the heart of the Reformation today, guys. Semper Reformanda. Always reforming. Amen? Always. This is... The Reformation, guys, we need to get it out of our heads. If this is you, I've been there before. If this is you, if you think the Reformation is something that we just look back and remember, and these guys are heroes, you see them, you see them represented as cartoon characters, that's not what it is. This is fighting for the souls of men and the glory of Christ and His Gospel. It's worth defending. It's worth giving up your life for we, we've seen that by example over the centuries. Men and women have given up their lives for this. Just like Paul did and the other apostles. Always reforming, clearly defining and defending the gospel. Why? Well, because false gospels with false Christ damn souls. That's why. The gospel of the Roman Catholic Church is a false gospel. And we're specifically talking about the Roman Catholic Church because that's what the Reformation was specifically about. This is in no way trying to pick on individual people. We need to love our Roman Catholic neighbors enough to tell them the truth of what we're going to hear today. billion souls is the number I've heard right now. That's what makes the Reformation even more important nowadays. It's worldwide. It's the devil's religion. We must have clarity. We must have clarity. Why? Why have clarity? And we'll talk about this even more a little later. Or actually it is right now. I didn't realize that I'm already at that point. Why, Why do we need to have such clarity Well, because we need to be able to answer this question. Are they, are Roman Catholics, our brothers and sisters in Christ, or are they the mission field? That's a question we need to be able to answer. And you've heard me mention his name before, and I'm going to mention his name. Doug Wilson, for example. There are others. But he's a, he's a big name right now amongst reform circles. He has explicitly stated that a leading apologist, this is not just a garden variety Roman Catholic who don't know what they teach, an apologist for the Roman Catholic Church, G.K. Chesterton. Doug Wilson says he was a brother in Christ and in heaven right now. And he said, if he's not in heaven, I'm in trouble. What? Okay, so you know what that does, guys? Well, that means Doug Wilson has his own problems. But what does it do to Christians? Who listen to this man? This brings much confusion to Christians, to the body of Christ. When you have leading evangelicals calling leading Roman Catholic apologists brothers in Christ, a man who spent his life defending what I'm going to expose this or today, and, and, and that whole catechism, defending these doctrines. And for a man like Doug Wilson to say, yes, he's a brother in Christ. He was saved. He's a godly man. He's in heaven now. And if he's not, I'm in trouble. What does it even mean by that? I don't even understand that. But you know what else it does? Well, what it does on top of bringing confusion, it puts the evangelistic zeal out. Well, I don't need to look at them as the mission field. I don't need to preach the gospel to them because they're already Christians. Do you think the devil would want that? Absolutely. That's why we must be clear. That's why Reformation is real. Yes, we're celebrating it, guys, but more than that, I want you to see yourself as one enlisted in it. Meaning simply, simply this. We speak the truth of what the Scripture says. We, we learn the errors of the false Gospels and we speak the truth in love. We, and we don't back down. And if it means, guys, 
that we aren't part of the big crowd? Hey, in case, look around. You think I'm interested in being part of the big crowd? <laughs> of course not. I just want to preach the truth. One man who is not compromised, among, among others, is John MacArthur. And I'm thankful for him. This is a quote from John MacArthur. In the long war on truth, the most formidable, relentless, and deceptive enemy has been Roman Catholicism. You hear that? In the long war on truth. This system is ancient. He said it is an apostate, corrupt, heretical, false Christianity. It is a front for the kingdom of Satan. Strong words, but true. Again, we love Roman Catholics. Amen? Amen. But I despise its teaching, and I hope you do too, especially after you hear some of it. We should despise it. It is antichrist. It is Antichrist above anything else out there. It's so big, you don't even know where to begin with its heretical teachings. And we're just going to look at a few of them. It is a doctrine of demons, and it is an Antichrist system. And at the heart of this battle, guys, at the heart of this battle lies the sufficiency of Christ. So that's what we're going to look at the sufficiency of Christ. Probably the most accurate summary of what the Reformers were teaching 500 years ago and and thereafter. Um, In in response to Rome's false gospel is what we now know of the five solas. Which is really really formally put together a few centuries later. But this is what really explains how they were... uh, the, the teachings that they that they developed to come against Rome. Okay? The five solas. And so that's really at the heart of what it means to be reformed. Okay? The five solas. Sola gratia. We are saved by grace alone. Did you hear the songs we were singing? Amen. We're saved by grace alone. Sola fide. And, and all this is Latin. Solas means alone. Sola fide. Through faith alone. We're saved by grace alone. Through faith alone. Because this is what the Scriptures teach. So as Christus, in Christ alone, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The alone part is so important. Beloved, a Roman Catholic will tell you, yeah, we're saved by grace through faith. But not the alone part. That's, that's, why, these, that's why these solas are so important. It's alone. As revealed, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Sola Scriptura, as revealed by Scripture alone. Scripture is our authority. Not the church, not tradition, and not the Pope. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed by Scripture alone. Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone, just like the song we sang. And so today... We're going to be looking throughout this message at primarily Solus Christus, Christ alone. Christ is sufficient. Him alone, He is sufficient. So if you have your bulletin, that by way of introduction, if you have your bulletin, the truth that I propose to you today that I want you to consider the summary of the message, I guess is another way you could say it, is this. Christ alone is sufficient for salvation. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Christ alone is sufficient for salvation. Anything added to His person or work denies His sufficiency and creates a false gospel that cannot save. That's two sentences to to summarize the sermon today. And so the first thing we're going to look at Because His work is sufficient, okay? Because His work is sufficient, there's no need for the Mass. Okay? There's no need for the Mass. So because His work is sufficient, these four points are true. No need for the Mass, no help from Mary, no such place as purgatory, and no salvation from works. So let's look at that briefly. Because of the sufficiency of Christ, there is no need for 
the Mass. What is it? What is the Mass? Brief explanation. It's when the... I would, I would uh, say not just the priest, but the unholy priest, the blasphemer priest, the Roman Catholic priest, literally calls Jesus down from heaven. If you didn't know what was going on in the Mass, you have an unholy man, an unregenerate man, a blaspheming man, calling the eternal God, who the Bible says is sitting at the right hand of the Father until the time of the Father's choosing when He comes back a second time. But the Roman Catholic Mass says this unholy man calls Jesus down. Now I'm going to quote several paragraphs out of the Catechism. But one thing I didn't have written down, somewhere in the Council of Trent, which the Council of Trent was a counter-reformation in the 1500s. There's a lot of, a lot of canons in, in the Council of Trent, which are now dogmas, meaning they can't change. But somewhere in the Council of Trent, I remember listening to this week, that the priest calls the eternal Son of God down, and when he does, Jesus, in humility, bows his head and humbly obeys the priest. That's what is going on in the Mass, guys. Remember what Paul said about the Judaizers? One thing, false gospel. That alone is enough to run for cover and get away from this thing. But that's what happens all around the world pretty much every day of the week is this is going on. This is a stench in the nostrils of God Almighty. And this priest, he, he transubstantiates, meaning that the conversion of the, of the substance, the, the, the bread and the wine, he somehow changes the substance of the Eucharist elements into the literal body and blood of Christ. Literal. Not just figurative, literal. To the point that they say that it only appears to be bread and juice. It's really Christ's body. And what happens when He calls them down? They sacrifice Him all over again. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. Now paragraph 1367 of the Catholic Catechism says this, the sacrifice of Christ and the sacrifice of the Eucharist are one single sacrifice. That's not what Jesus said on the cross. He says, it says this, the victim is one and the same. We're going to come back to that. Was Christ a victim? Absolutely not. He wasn't a victim. It says this, the same now, the same now, the same sacrifice now offers through the ministry of the priests who then offered Himself on the cross. Only the manner of offering is different. And since in this divine sacrifice, they call it a divine sacrifice, they have an altar at the Mass. And they say His literal body comes down and they sacrifice Him all over again. It gets worse. And since in this divine sacrifice, which is celebrated in the Mass, the same Christ who offered Himself once in the bloody manner on the altar of the cross is contained and offered in an unbloody manner. And listen to this. And we're going to come back and hit those points. This sacrifice is truly propitiatory. The sacrifice of the Mass, they say, satisfies the wrath of God in its propitiation for our sins. Can you come up with something more antichrist, more blasphemous than what the Word of God says? Christ was made propitiation for us on the cross. The wrath of God was satisfied in full on the cross. And He said, it is finished. And He said, it, He gave up His Spirit. So, was Jesus a victim? No, He wasn't a victim. In John 10, 17 and 18, He said, I lay down My life so that I may take it again. No one takes it away from Me. That doesn't sound like a victim. He was fully God in full control of the entire situation. He gave up His life. And why did He give up His life? For the salvation of His sheep that we talked about last week. 
No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down of my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down. Christ was not a victim. Christ is God in the flesh. And I have the authority to take it up again. So no, He was not a victim. What does Hebrews 10.12 remind us? But He, Jesus Christ, having offered one sacrifice for sins, not millions, not billions, one sacrifice for sins for all time. That, that alone, Hebrews chapter 10 alone, destroys the teaching of the Mass. Having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, set down at the right hand of God. That's where he's at still. He doesn't come down into a piece of bread. Beloved, the Council of Trent announces over a hundred anathemas against us. The Council of Trent says if you don't believe that really is the literal blood and body of Christ, you're anathema. You're damned. Hey, if an antichrist wants to say I'm damned, let them say it. God's Word says they're damned. The whole system is damned. I hope you can see, beloved, they have a different Jesus. Jesus is not a piece of bread. Jesus did not come down to be sacrificed again. Jesus is God Almighty. He was crucified once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. And now He's sat down at the right hand of God, reigning with all authority. To say that He needs to be sacrificed again, what is it they think they're accomplishing in the Mass? Well, obviously they already said propitiation. But what else? Paragraph 14.14 of the Catechism says, As sacrifice, the Eucharist is also offered in reparation of the sins of the living and the dead. So this unholy, unbloody, blasphemous sacrifice not only propitiates, pays for the sins of those alive, but even those after death. And that's where you get the, the whole teaching of purgatory. We'll talk about that a little later. But you notice what it said earlier, guys. I read it. It was actually in the last paragraph. An unbloody sacrifice. They should consult with who they call their first pope. They call Peter their first pope. You'd think they'd listen to what he said. Remember what Peter said in 1 Peter? We looked at last year. He said, we are redeemed with, what? Not things that are perishable. Not money, silver, gold. But with the precious blood of Christ. We're redeemed by the blood of Christ. And they're offering this unbloody body of Christ, or sacrifice of Christ, this unbloody sacrifice. It's, it's heretical through and through. It's heretical every angle you look at it. It's blasphemous. It's idolatry. I hope you can see that. Clearly, with no confusion, this is idolatry. It's a false Christ. The idolatry of... There's much more we can say about the Mass, guys. But I hope you can see the blasphemy in the Mass. And so the idolatry of the Mass denies the sufficiency of Christ. It is finished. One day that whole system will go back to the bowels of hell where it came from. It is finished! How hard is that to understand? It is finished! It is finished! Praise God. Our sin has been atoned for. The wrath of God has been appeased. So the first thing we see, there's no need for the Mass. Secondly, we see there's no help for Mary. hope we understand that, guys. No, Mary has never heard one prayer ever offered to her. If Mary knew what these people were doing, she would plead with Him to stop and, and go to My Son. My Savior. No help for Mary. Regarding Mary's so-called saving office. I stole that so-called from Pastor Chuck. Because that's what it is. It's a so-called saving office. In paragraph 966 of the Catechism, it says this. Listen to this, guys. We're just going to read one paragraph on Mary. Taken up to heaven... She did not lay aside this saving office. 
this saving office. Taken up to heaven, she did not lay aside this saving office. But by her, but by her manifold intercession continues to bring us the gifts of eternal salvation. Mary intercedes for you. Oh, it gets worse. Mammal intercession? Hmm? Did you say mammal? No, uh, manifold. 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 Sorry about that. Yeah, manifold intercession. She's the one interceding for us. That's what it's saying. The sinner who needed a Savior, who happened to be, hey, Blessed Mary, she was the mother of the human. She, she got to be the mother of the human Jesus. But she was a sinner like we were. We'll look at that. But, oh, but it gets worse. <laughs> or put it this way, it clarifies it even more. In case we're wondering what they're meaning. Oh, Antichrist is going to let us know. Therefore, the Blessed Virgin is invoked in the church under the titles, you ready for this? Advocate, capital A. The Roman Catholic Catechism, I got it right there. They call Mary our Advocate, capital A. Our Helper, capital H. Our Benefactress and our Mediatrix. In other words, that's just a female name for Mediator. Capital M. That's what the Catechism says. You know what Roman Catholics will tell you? We don't worship Mary. We just venerate Mary. You know what venerate means? It just means to regard with great respect. Hey man, I have great respect for John MacArthur, but I don't worship him. I don't pray to him. If you pray to somebody, you are worshiping them. If you think somebody is your advocate or your mediator, you are worshiping that person. Oh, make no mistake, they worship Mary. 1 John 2.1, guys, this will be clear. There's really no explanation as I go through these Scriptures. Hope you, hope, again, hope you can see the idolatry. They worship Mary, they worship the priest, they worship the Pope, they worship images. I'm going to get back to this text in a minute, but while I'm thinking about it, guys, there's so much to this that we're not going to cover. But you know the Roman Catholic Church, they worship images. Okay, part of the Roman Catholic Church, part of their, their, their works of penance, their, their whole works righteousness system, is keeping the commandments, the Ten Commandments. Okay? I mean, that alone condemns you because we can't keep them. But you know what they do with the second commandment? You shall have no graven images. They remove it. They remove the second commandment from the Ten Commandments. And so what they do to come up with ten? They, they took the tenth commandment, you shall not covet, just made two out of it. You shall not covet this, you shall not covet that. They say you should keep the commandments, but they know they're so guilty they have to remove one. You see just a heretical circus? Well, it would be a circus if it was actually funny. Antichrist, through and through. But back to Mary, 1 John 2.1 says, If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. And the Holy Spirit doesn't leave us guessing who it is. It doesn't say Mary, the righteous. It says Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is our advocate. He is the one who defends us when, we, when the enemy accuses us. Jesus Christ, he, as our advocate, says, bought and paid for, under my blood, I redeemed him with my blood. Mary doesn't do that. Jesus Christ is our advocate. Can I hear an amen? amen. This is an amen type of service. <laughs> right? You want to talk about keeping the main thing the main thing? This is the main thing, guys, and it's under attack worldwide through this system. Gross idolatry is what this is. Again, Galatians 1, Paul says, you add one thing, it's a false gospel, it damns you. These people worship a sinner, a lady, a woman. 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men. Does it say, and that's the woman Mary? The man Christ Jesus. Antichrist has got a lot of nerve, a lot of audacity. His lies are so obviously refuted with Scripture. But it's amazing His deceptive powers. He deceives so many. John 14, verses 16-17, through 17, Jesus says, telling His disciples, His apostles, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper. 
capital H, that by it, or that he may be with, that he may be with you forever. And then, just so we're not unaware, unsure who it is, and that is the Spirit of Truth. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He is our comforter. Not Mary. What's one of the ways the Spirit helps us? Well, He convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Judgment to come. You know Mary got that? You know Mary understood that? Mary who they say is the helper? No, the helper helped her. The helper convicted her of her sin because she sings about it in Luke chapter 1. Of her God and Savior. No person would sing about a Savior if they didn't need a Savior. They didn't know they were a sinner. No, the Holy Spirit convicted Mary of sin. Convicted Mary of righteousness. Her lack of righteousness and her need for the perfect righteousness that comes through Christ alone. Mary understood that. Oh, if she could just tell these people, stop worshiping Me. It's idolatry. She would say the same thing that the Apostle said, right? When in, when, when in, when in Acts, they, they, they knelt down to worship Peter or Paul and they said, get up! I'm just a man. You know Mary would do the same thing. What are you doing worshiping Me? The Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. She understood judgment to come. Not purgatory. Judgment to come. Hell. She knew she needed a Savior. Romans 3.23 The Bible says, The Bible does not say, For some has sinned and all fallen short of the glory of God. All but Mary. The Bible says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that teaches the Immaculate Conception that she was born sinless. Beloved, another heresy. Only Christ is sinless. Christ was born, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin, fully God, fully man, tempted in all points as you and I, yet without sin. Christ knew no sin. Mary was sinful like you and I. Idolatry. They blasphemed Christ and they blasphemed the Holy Spirit. You know, the, the Roman Catholic Church, in a sense, at least they get this one thing right, they believe in the Trinity, but yet they blaspheme the members of the Trinity. And have a false Christ. They have a Christ that's on the crucifix, right? You see them, they wear the crucifix. Let that be a gospel conversation, guys. So who is that? Who is that on, who is that on your cross? They say, well, it's Jesus. No, it's not. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. He sits at God's right hand. That's an image. That's a false Christ. They have a false Christ, beloved. Gross idolatry. And so the, through the teaching of Mary, they deny the sufficiency of Christ. It is finished. His perfect work for our redemption, satisfying God's wrath, redeemed us with His blood, no help for Mary. Thirdly, thirdly, because of the sufficiency of Christ, we see clearly there's no such place. There's, you know, I guess you could say there's no such need. But there's no such place as purgatory. But because of the sufficiency of Christ, there's, there's no need for it. So we know there's no such thing of it. It's not in Scripture. It's foreign in Scripture. It didn't become a dogma in the Roman Catholic Church until the 1500s. Paragraph 1030 of the Catholic Church says this, All who die in God's grace and friendship... How do you know if you're ever in God's grace and friendship in this system? All who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified are indeed assured of their eternal salvation, but after death they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. Alright, let's look at that. All who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified. Imperfectly purified. Are 
are indeed assured of their eternal salvation, but after death they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. So there's a few different things we can look at. The false teaching of purgatory. First of all, let's just talk about after death, do we get a second chance? Absolutely not. Who do you think would want us to think that we get a second chance after death? The, old, the, the good old devil, Antichrist. What, what a deception. And I've heard it a million times. Oh, I'll get right in purgatory. No, you won't. Jesus gives us a, a story in the Bible to condemn this teaching before it ever existed. The rich man and Lazarus. You guys remember that? And He gives us this story. And the rich man is a picture of the unbeliever who when he dies, he instantly goes into torment. He instantly goes into torment. Which is a picture of unbelievers now. They go into torment. It's not the final lake of fire, but it is torment. And one day, that will be cast into the lake of fire. No purgatory. There's a chasm between him and the other. There's no way out. Lazarus, the picture of the believer instantly into the presence of the Lord. Abraham's bosom, paradise. Where believers are at now until the new heavens and the new earth are consummated. Until these things are final. It says imperfectly purified. Imperfectly purified. How can you be, how can you be in God's grace but still imperfectly Purified. That does not make sense when you understand God's standard. We must be fully purified. We must, be, we must have the righteousness of Christ credited to us to be in God's grace and friendship. I mean, when I look at it, you could just go on and on with biblical truth. But, but to talk about, they, they say that's what's taking place in purgatory. You're, you're undergoing purification. Your sins are being purged. That's what they say. They say that's why the devil takes away in many aspects the fear of death in the system for these people. Now the fear of death is still there. It's buried in there because we're slaves to the fear of death, Hebrews says. But through that deception, they think, oh, I'll, just, I'll get right in purgatory. What does 1 John 1.7 say? Again, it's back to the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus cleanses or purifies us from all sin. And we had better have not an imperfect, but a perfect purification if we're going to stand before a holy God. And we, and we are. We do have a perfect purification. It's through Christ and Him alone. Purgatory, beloved, is the devil's lie. And this teaching obviously denies the sufficiency of Christ. It is finished. It is finished. There's no need and there's no truth to the false teaching of purgatory. We're not even going to have time to talk about the Pope. But just know that there's no hope in the Pope. No hope at all. Probably the biggest blasphemer in the world is a Pope. But fourthly, let's look at this guys to kind of sum it up. Because of the sufficiency of Christ, there is no salvation from works. And this would include any system of works. Any of them. And just, there's more that spring up all the time. These man-made, demonic religions. Who many of them, just like Paul said in Galatians, many of them started through the supposed appearance of an angel. But, for our discussion today, we're going to see that there's no salvation from works because it is finished. So beloved, again, there's so much more that can be said about this. I hope you understand that. This is like an like um, introductory to some of the heresies of Rome about this abominable false religion. I forget what Spurgeon said. He called it, he called it like the abomination of abominations, something strong like that. Um, but there's so much the more that can be said it's a, it's a false religious system 
We've seen that it is an idolatrous religious system. It's, it's idolatry. Again, they worship Mary. They worship the, the priest. They worship the Pope. They worship images. So much so that they remove the second commandment. They worship a false Christ in the Eucharist. They bow down to and pray to Mary. And so much more. But for the sake of time, we're going to finish by being reminded that Roman Catholicism is a works righteousness system. And again, what did Paul say to the Galatians? You added one work, you're condemned. In uh, Ray Comfort, I have a little book by Ray Comfort called World Religions in a Nutshell. I would recommend it to you. It's, uh, it's, it's similar, Josh, to the, uh, to the false teaching hand guide. Just a uh, summary goes over the different, the different false teachings out there. But it's called World Religions in a Nutshell. I'm just going to quote Ray. Uh, he, he kind of summarizes some of, the, some of the different aspects of their works righteousness so we can go through it kind of quickly. But he says this, In Catholicism, baptism erases sin up to that point. And I want to say something about that, guys. They say that through baptism, and, and even infant baptism, that that's where justification occurs. Justification. The biblical definition of justification is that we are declared righteous legally before God. That our sins are forgiven, that we're imputed with the righteousness of Christ, and we are righteous before God forever. 2 Corinthians 5.21, right? Him who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He took our sin, we get His righteousness. The great exchange, that's justification. They say... Justification happens at baptism. So an infant, for example, is justified at baptism. Or if, if you're an adult and you get baptized, you're, you're justified at baptism up to that point. Well, that contradicts what justification is. If you can be justified and then unjustified. So they say you're justified up to that point and it merely begins the process of salvation. A process that continues throughout life as one participates in the sacraments. They, they have seven sacraments. I don't have them listed here, but it mentions some of them. The sacrament of penance is required to receive forgiveness of sins. I thought you were justified. It's, it's a confusing mess. I've heard Roman Catholics who were saved out of this describe it the same way. It's like, it's like being on a never-ending treadmill, never knowing if you're right with God. Because they're not right with God. Because the person is not justified by works. But the sacrament of penance is required to receive forgiveness of the sins committed after baptism. Acts of penance vary, but, it, but include prayer. You know, don't know how much prayer. Uh, saying the rosary. Reading Scripture. Saying a number of Our Father or Hail Mary prayers. If you've ever seen them at the abortion clinic when we preached, you could, you could see them doing some of these things. Praying the rosary, their Hail Marys. That's what they're doing. These are works of penance. And fasting. That reminds me of the, uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector. That's one of the things the Pharisee boasted of. I fast twice a week. Again, system of works. In Catholic teaching, Ray Comfort goes on, he continues, the sacraments are necessary for salvation because they confer sacramental grace, forgiveness of sins, adoption as children of God, confirmation to Christ, the Lord and membership in the church. All works. All works. It's all what you do. The Holy Spirit heals and transforms those people who receive the sacraments. God's grace. Okay, this is where it just, again, it makes the hair on your head stand up. God's grace that is conferred simply enables the believer to perform works that earn them the right to heaven. Hey, and then to back up what Ray Comfort's saying, so you know he's not speaking falsely, this next statement is straight out of the catechism. Backing up that last line that Ray said. Paragraph 2027 says this, Moved by the Holy Spirit, we can merit for ourselves and for all others the grace is needed to attain eternal life. So not only can we earn our eternal life, we can earn 
It says all others. That's for the living, the dead, they're in purgatory. That's when you purchase these indulgences. You buy these indulgences, right? Give money. We're going to see that in the film, in the movie, through your good works, through your works righteousness, through your prayers. You earn not only eternal life for yourself, but for other people. But we but it says we can merit for ourselves and for all others the graces needed. Grace is something that is unmerited. You see how antichrist it is. Antichrist, guys, it's against Christ. Instead of Christ. Grace is unmerited favor that we don't deserve. Everything about this system is. You know what it, you know what it says? When, when you take it as they don't need Jesus Christ. Any works righteousness system, when you get down to it, they don't need him. You know what that phrase, that last paragraph I, I read? Talking about meriting the graces needed for eternal life? It sounds like boasting. Does it not? It sounds like boasting. They boast that they can merit eternal life. What does the Scripture say? Romans 4 or 5, But to the one who does not work, but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Galatians 2.16, A person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ by the works of the law. No person shall be justified. 2 Timothy 1.9 He saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Before the ages began. Titus 3.5 He saved us not because of works, Do you hear this? Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His mercy. And Ephesians 2, 8, 9, obviously this one passage, all of these, but this one passage alone just blows up the whole system of any false, heretical, works, righteousness, religion. For by grace have you been saved through faith that not of yourselves, not a result of works. How much clearer can it be? Not of your own doing, but as a gift of God, so that what? No one may boast. Sorry, there's no boasting for anybody. But then verse 10 in Ephesians 2, we have to balance it out because we get accused by these kind of works righteousness system. Oh, you just... You just believe in Jesus and just live in sin and, 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 and they think we're like against good works. No, we're not. But we've got to get them in the proper order. Verse 10, after, after we're saved by grace, through faith that not of yourselves, the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Verse 10, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that you would walk in them. We're totally for good works. Amen? Thank the Lord for good works. It's evidence of our salvation. We're saved. We're saved for good works, but not by good works. It's a big difference. As a result, our good works are as a result of our salvation, never the cause. Beloved, and that's James' argument in James chapter 2. That's his whole argument. You say you have faith, but there's no evidence in your life. There's no transformation. There's no good works. Not that would have saved you, but that would be an evidence of your salvation. I was going to reference James, but we'll get into that another time. Canon 14 of the Council of Trent, beloved, it gets worse. Canon 14 of the Council of Trent says this. Did we hear what the Bible just said about how we're saved? Very Not confusing, right? I've read several passages. There's a lot more. Very clear. By grace through faith. Grace through faith. Grace through faith. Grace through faith. We could go to the Old Testament. Grace through faith. Canon 14 of the Council of Trent says this. 
This is this has not been changed, beloved. This is Roman Catholic teaching. Again, we love the people, we hate the system. Listen to what it says about you and I. If anyone says that man is truly absolved from his sin and justified by this faith alone, let him be anathema. Is that Antichrist? What did Paul say to the Galatians? If anybody preaches a different gospel than what I preach, a man is not justified in the same letter. He said, a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And if anybody preaches a different gospel, let him be anathema. The Council of Trent says the exact opposite. And it's never been recounted. And it says it more than once. I just read part of one paragraph. Again, there are over a hundred other anathemas in, in the Council of Trent. Many of them regarding the Mass. If you don't believe that's really His body, you're anathema. If you think this is idolatry, you're anathema. If you think this is blasphemy, you're anathema. You see, these popes in this Roman Catholic system, they think they're untouchable. That's why the Pope supposedly has all authority on earth. He's Christ's vicar on earth. No, Jesus said, I have authority on earth and in heaven. Jesus Christ has all authority in the whole universe. He doesn't need an ungodly, unregenerate blasphemer to represent Him on earth. But we'll do something on the Pope another time. This is a false, satanic religion of idolatry. I hope it's been very clear. Any works righteousness religion, any works righteousness religion, any of them, the Jehovah's Witness, the Mormons, there's many others. The little thing that Ronnie came out of years ago, Ronnie and his wife, the Church of the Firstborn, little thing, but it's a works righteousness system. The Hebrew Israelites, works righteousness system. Islam, works righteousness system. All of them deny the sufficiency of Christ. It is finished. Not only, good, not only can good works not save you, they will damn you. Paul says in Galatians 2.21, if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. And before I move on, guys, I almost skipped it. Because I added it to it this morning. But just about this whole, this whole, hopefully you can see how wretched this is, this system. Again, we love the people. That's why we want to Tell them the truth. Flee Roman Catholicism. Come to Christ. Listen to what Spurgeon says, guys. And then we're going we're gonna to close here in just a moment. He says this, We must have no truce, no treaty with Rome. You hear that language? I hope you can see that that's my heart. That needs to be our heart. That is love. We don't want to shake hands with the devil. He says this, war. War to the knife with her. Talking about the system, guys. Peace there cannot be. She cannot have peace with us. We cannot have peace with her. Oh, if some of these supposed reformed evangelical pastors would, who, who actually have a big following and influence a lot of people, if they would stand up He says, she hates the true church. That's why they murdered thousands of them. Probably millions of Christians over the centuries. She hates the true church. Okay, I'm going to stop right here. I'm going to finish that in a minute. But I listened to Pastor Chuck's sermon from last year that you guys sat under. I think I heard you laugh, Angela. I was telling her on sermon audio. But, but I think this is very applicable. Just to give you an idea of, of, of the Roman Catholic Church as a whole, their view on the truth. How they respond to the truth. Because this is a real life story. Chuck with a few others were up in Philadelphia five years ago when the Pope came to America. I remember that. 
Uh, Jeff Rose was up there a bunch, of, and they were they were in downtown Philadelphia preaching the gospel. They had a huge amp, and just literally millions of people. They had the whole city shut down. Because I saw videos of it, and Chuck said they would be preaching the clear, simple gospel that Christ is the one and only mediator. He is the only way to heaven. And you know what their response was, guys? Or no, no, no. The, the verse they quoted was Acts four twelve. There is salvation in no other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by men which we must be saved. You know what their response was? Mary, Mary, Mary. Until they got tired of saying that, and they and they went to Francis, Francis. Do you understand how much they hate the truth? Rome hates the truth. It is anti-Christ. You preach the truth to them, and we we know that God has His elect in there, and He'll pull them out. But make no mistake about it, they hate the true Jesus Christ and His gospel. I thought that it's always good when you can see when you can hear about a real story of real people responding to the real gospel. But I move on here. It says she hates the true church, and we can only say that the hatred is reciprocated. Again, not the people, the system. We would not lay a hand upon her priests. We would not just touch a hair on their head. Let them be free, but let their do- but their doctrine we would destroy from the face of the earth. That's our beloved Spurgeon, and amen. That's how we should feel. It makes me sick that I got that book, but it's a tool. Because I read it, and I always want to burn it. Let them be free, but their but their doctrine we destroy from the face of the earth as a doctrine of evils, because that's what it is. So let it perish, O God, and let that evil thing become as the fat of lambs. Into smoke let it consume, yea, into smoke let it consume away. Why is Spurgeon so passionate about it? Because he understands that this system damns souls. Precious souls. We've all known Roman Catholics, and for the most part, like a lot of people in false religions, they're sweet people. But being sweet does not wash away your sin. Mary doesn't wash away your sin. They must hear the truth. They must hear the truth, beloved. And that is what we need to tell them. We need gospel clarity. In this day, in 2022, 505 years after we're, we're celebrating the Reformation, let us do more than that. Let us not prop up our reformers and boast about we're reformed, but yet compromise and say Roman Catholics are our brothers and sisters in Christ. No, we must bring clarity, not compromise, which brings confusion. Again, for those people who know the teachings of Roman Catholicism and hold to them and believe them, they are idolaters. There's no other way to describe it. They are idolaters. No matter how sincere they are. And what, do we, what are we reminded of in Paul's letter to the Corinthians? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators nor idolaters. Among other, many other things, the effeminate, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And there is no bigger idolatrous system or people than Roman Catholics. That's why they literally take the second commandment out of the Ten Commandments. It is an idolatrous religion, but we know what Paul says, such were some of you. Many of those Corinthians were idolaters, right? Worshiping pagan gods, but they are not anymore. You were washed, you were cleansed, you were justified. How? Through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. They must hear the truth. We must lovingly call our Roman Catholic neighbors and all others to repentance. Amen? Amen. Repentance. Mark 1.15, guys, is so clear. 
Hopefully you can have a better appreciation and understanding for the simplicity of this verse. Jesus, in His first words of His public ministry, repent and believe the Gospel. Think about that. Think about how simple that is. If a Roman Catholic If a person is a Roman Catholic and understands and believes what they teach, they cannot be a Christian. Do you understand that? It is impossible. That's why the truth of this verse is so important. What you believe is not the Gospel. What you believe is anti-Christ, anti-Gospel. God tells you to repent and to believe the Gospel. And so evidence... Church, evidence that somebody is a Christian is that they believe the Gospel. Not the Antichrist Gospel. Is that, do you get that? It's clear. You can't be a Christian and believe this mess that we just looked at. It's literally impossible. The evidence, the command is to repent, to turn from that idolatry, to turn from that Antichrist system that will damn you and turn to Christ alone and believe the true Gospel. And so the fruit, the fruit is that they would repent and believe. Not that they remain over here. So we must be clear. We must be clear and we must be bold in our defense and loving. Love is what should, be, should motivate us. To love our neighbors with the truth. That goes for all. Not just Roman Catholics. Repent and believe the Gospel of Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the truth of Your Word, the simplicity, the clarity of Your Word, Lord. I pray that You would give us a love for our Roman Catholic neighbors, Lord. I pray that You will just give us a a deeper commitment to Your Word. Lord, help us to truly wear the name of being reformed, God, in truth. That it's, it's not so that we can somehow demonstrate how smart we are. But Lord, it's, it's the heart of it is Your Gospel and, and souls. Father, we, we, just, we love You so much for saving us by Your grace. For giving us the gift of faith. For granting us repentance. For sending Your Son, Lord. Thank You so much for loving us and saving us, Lord. We worship You today, Lord. In Christ's name, Amen.